Good morning. Hope you're having an amazing Sunday. The worship was heart-moving and heart-wrenching and inspiring at the same time, as it always is. Um, <coughs> so, when they asked me to teach today, I had no problem. I was like, yeah, I got some stuff prepared. We'll just do that. We're all good. That's not what's happening. So, <laughs> the Lord's been talking to me and asking me a question, and so uh, I brought that question to you. So, let me start by saying there's there are four words that seems a little loud. Am I a little loud? I seem really loud. Thank you. Um, there are four words that really no Christ, Christian really wants to be asked. They form a question. Um, you should definitely never ask it in mixed company to another Christian. It should definitely be in private. Um, never in a group. Um, in fact, I guarantee you that if uh, another Christian were walking into the room as two Christians were talking and one asked this question to the other one, he would turn right around, walk out, probably praying for both gentlemen or ladies that are having the conversation. Um, those four words are actually the title of the message today. Got it up here? You throw that up? How's your walk? Right? Um, one article I read said that asking another Christian how your walk is, and we got no young kids, kids here, is the same as asking somebody, a secular person, how's your sex life? It's that private. It's that personal. Um, the reason the question gives such apprehension to a Christian is because it requires an honest self-reflection of a Christian walk. It's never perfect, it's, and the conviction is likely a silent reaction to the question. So let's get the obvious out of the way. You're all wondering, how's my walk, right? <laughs> Since I mentioned it, it's rough. Um, I have a, an injury, I'm heading back to work, I don't know what that means. I'm still uh, injured, but they found a place for me to sit behind a desk. I don't know if that means that uh, the process of getting myself back into working order is going to be hard or easier or who knows it's all up in the air um we of course are living in a pandemic we're in a country that everything's up in the air all of these fears i keep giving to god and leaving them at the throne and somehow i pick them up before i walk away i keep taking them back and having to give them back to him so that's my walk that's real. It's real for a lot of people. Nobody expects the Christian walk to be easy or perfect. Not even God. <laughs> but he wants us to, to pursue him. So now, if, if you're not a Christian, you're like, well, what does that mean? What's a walk? Um, well, what it's not is it's not salvation. That's not your walk. A walk is, okay, so you, 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 need, you have to repent of sin. You have to believe in Christ and what he did for you on the cross, that he paid for your sins. You have to believe in the resurrection and that he conquered death. And I'm going to give everybody who wants to a chance to do that at the end. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about how to get saved. We're talking how to walk and live in that salvation. I thought I wasn't getting emotional. <laughs> so... There are steps, not steps, it's not like it's a course, a 12-step process or something like that. There are just things that have to happen, and so I broke them down into steps. It's not um, hard and fast for each person, it's different. But they, they are um, necessary things that have to be done. So, for example, the first one I have here, it's a total surrender of your life. James uh, 4.3 Actually, I'm going to read James 4, 3 through um, 7. It says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend with the world will be an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're basically saying, I've tried it my way, and it didn't work out. It's not going so good. Um, and I know that since you require perfection of me, I'm pretty sure that my walk isn't working, my, my way isn't working for you. So I surrender my whole life. Your whole life. That requires a great amount of effort. And we rarely, we rarely do it. Most of the time, you're holding something on. There's something you're like, God, I give you all of that. I'm just going to hold on to this right here. I'll, I got this. I can handle this. You handle that. That's not how it works. That's not how God wants it to work. I mean, it, we do it, but that's not how God wants it. Most often, surrender is a partial surrender. Surrendering your whole life requires more than just trusting God. It actually requires faith. You're like, what's the difference? Well, it's, uh, it's in Scripture what the difference is. But before we get to that real quick, because that's, that's the next point of this, of surrender. Um, surrender's hard to do, and it's even harder to maintain. But, like I said, it requires faith. So let's talk about faith. Isaiah 2, 12, or 12, 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah the Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. So before you accept Christ, it was all about you, right? You trusted in yourself. You were going to fix it. You were your own salvation. And when you, when you, when you accept Christ, you come to realize you can't do it. You can't save yourself. Isaiah 26.3 says, I will keep him in perfect peace, or you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you, trust in the Lord forever. So, like I said, truth and, and faith, or trust and faith. What's the difference, right? Well, they can be synonymous, but faith is not just trust. You cannot have faith without trust, but it's more. So scripture, okay, so first of all, Hebrews 11.1, 1, which isn't in the slides, I apologize. <laughs> the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith involves trusting in something you cannot explicitly prove. You may know it's true, but you can't prove it explicitly without any kind of doubt or, or viable argument even. Faith is inseparable from trust, as I said. It's the confidence that God can and will do what he says he'll do in his word. Faith includes both intellectual assess, but something to something and trust in it. So you believe something is true, but you also place your trust in it. You rely on it. Faith recognizes, for example, that the chair you're sitting in was designed to support a human sitting in it. Trust is actually sitting in that chair. You know, you know it's designed that way, but if you don't sit in it, if you're like, well, I know it's supposed to hold me, but mm, it requires trust to actually sit in that chair. So that's what, that's what it is. Like, faith is knowing this is what God says. Trust is moving forward in that faith. There are times when your worry and this is true, there are times when your worry will overcome your faith. It just happens. We're human. We're flawed. We're not perfect. You know, and God knows that. But if you have a relationship with God, it is possible, and actually, depending on your level of that relationship and your faith, it's actually easy to get back to that place of faith and trust in God. You know, when I, when I got that phone call and they told me, you can go to work. You can sit down and all of these things. Oh my gosh, are they going to 
you know, give me enough hours to make the pay, and if they don't, is that somehow covered by disability? All those things went through my head. And I was like, I've been sitting here trusting you before, and all of a sudden I don't. Here you go, George again. I'm gonna, I'll pick it up later, but I'll put it back again, I promise. <laughs> no, it's, we're just being real. <laughs> so we're talking about having a relationship with God. I'm going to discuss that in a minute. But first, I want to continue on with what it means to surrender. <sighs> to surrender requires you to walk in all of God's ways. Romans 12.1 I appeal you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Actually, this is a long one, so <laughs> buckle up. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may, dis may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Walking in the ways of the Lord often requires building good habits and, how to put it, uh, letting go of, of bad ones. Sometimes those habits that you build or you let go will not be very popular with the people in your life. Friends, families, girls or boyfriends, etc., husbands, wives. So, like example, so you decided to follow Christ. Now go tell your party buddies that you can't hang out and get high or drunk anymore because God, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and the Bible says you shouldn't be a drunkard. Stick in the mud, right? That's what you'll be called. Oh, by the way, when I hang out, could you guys not drink or, or, or do drugs because I, I really don't want to be tempted. You know, just, you know, out of respect for me, could you not do that? Seems a lot to ask by them. Decided to follow Christ? Okay, now go tell your boy, girl, boyfriend or girlfriend that uh, you can no longer sleep together. You can't even sleep in the same room. In fact, you can't even really live together unless you get married because scripture says that um, you should not even give the appearance of evil. Real popular with your mate, your, your, your other, significant other, if you will. Um, and if that person's not a follower of Christ, the Bible says you shouldn't even get married because unequal yoked. So it doesn't say that you can't, but it, it says that you should not. And why? Because Second Corinthians six four, excuse me, six fourteen, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship have light and darkness? That's the ASV version. I don't believe you have that slide either. I apologize. <laughs> um, there's an easy solution to both those scenarios and every other one that comes along when you accept Christ and you have to deal with your worldly past or what you used to live. It's easy. You simply do what Jesus tells you to do. Tell them, him or her, about Christ and that they need him as a savior at every opportunity you get. Not, not to pester him. I'm not saying, you know, basically use Jesus to push him away. I'm saying do what God says. Tell them about Jesus. Now, because you honestly want them to have salvation and be saved, one of two things is going to happen. They'll either be open to the truth, and you can speak God's truth into their lives, Maybe they'll accept Christ, maybe they won't, maybe they will one day, or they will reject you. Dude, stop, just stop coming around. If you're just going to talk about Jesus, you can just go do that with your, with your Jesus freaks, you know? Um, just realize that they're not actually rejecting you. This is not uh, more, more scripture I didn't give them slides for. I apologize, guys. First Samuel um, 8, 7, and the Lord said to Samuel... <clears throat> Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, and I should, that I should not reign over them. So when your friends tell you, look, if it's either Jesus or us, don't, don't feel bad. It's, it's been happening 
since before Christ walked, right? Um, and he told, even told Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, so don't take it personal. Just be obedient. The thing is, when you have the Holy Spirit in you, right? Now God lives in you, they reject God, you catch the backlash from that. So they, you know, they come against you, but what they're really coming against is God, the Holy Spirit that's living in you. So now healthy habits are how you get to the next part of the, the, your walk, which is to develop a good personal relationship with God. Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So what you do, even if you do it in the name of the Lord, even if it's miraculous, doesn't indicate a relationship with God. There's going to be people who are going to go, all right, I'm walking in, and they're like, nope, that's, you're going that way. What do you mean? I, I walked an aisle. I, I even, uh, you know, I gave my fortunes to the widows, and he's like, I don't know who you are. You know, relationship. A relationship with Christ is more than doing good stuff. It's more than uh, uh, going to a charity. It's more than going on a missions trip and building houses for the homeless. It's more than taking care of widows and orphans, believe it or not. It's, it's getting involved with God, speaking to him, letting him speak to you. In fact, a healthy relationship with God will often overshadow your accomplishments. You may not even realize that you're doing it, that you're serving God. <laughs> Here's what Matthew 25 through 30, 25, 31 through, oh, this is the long one, sorry. Here's what you need to buckle up, 244. <clears throat> when, <this, clears throat> when the Son of Man in his glory and all the holy angels with him, and when he sits on the throne of his glory, with all, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And when the king says to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. And the righteous will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we get, see you thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? When you, we see you naked or, and clothe you? Or when you were sick, come and visit you? Or in prison, come, in, to, come to you? And the king will answer, as surely I say to you, and as much as you did for the least of these, did my brethren, you did it to me. Okay, so some of you may not be old enough to know who this is. I'm barely old enough. There's a place called, there was, there was a time, a thing called Woodstock. So Woodstock was my mom's era, right? It was a huge concert, multiple bands, lots of drugs and all this stuff going on. Just the young people, they called them hippies. They went out and just literally for days lived in a farmer's field. The people around saw what was going on and they must didn't much approve of these hippies. These are guys who were, you know, straight, lace, squares, whatever you want to call them. They didn't approve of the lifestyle. They didn't approve of the music, none of it. But these people, these hippies, these kids went out there and didn't care about anything. They didn't bring food. They didn't bring water. Some of them hitchhiked and didn't have a place to sleep. They were sleeping on the open in the cold. And <laughs> these 
stiff necks, not stiff necks, these stiffs, these squares, these stick in the muds, they went to the hippies and they gave them food, water, blankets. And when asked in an interview, they asked, them, what are you, why are you doing this? You don't even like them. Somebody has to. That's what he said. Somebody's got it. He wasn't like, well, Jesus said that we're supposed to. No, he was like, somebody's got to do it. <laughs> Look at these kids. Now, the other hand, 41 through 44, says when he, then he will also say to those on the left hand, those are the, the goats, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they will also say to him, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? And he will say, and, I, and he will answer them saying, as surely as you did as much as you did not do, to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go into the way into the everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Okay, so same scenario. Because, and I'm not, this is not, the other one was a true story. I read an article and it was amazing. And I'm like, well, when I read it, I wasn't really, you know, thinking, well, this is what, that's how Christ, you know, that's, that's Christ in somebody. I was thinking, that's when America was a good country, you know? You didn't have to like somebody to care about them, right? Didn't matter who they were, what they were. If they needed help, if they were struggling, well, you helped them. Because who, if not, who would, right? Why not you? So let's say, let's take it the other way. Let's take a what if scenario. What if that same person, instead of helping, looked at these young people, these hippies, and said, they didn't bring any water, they didn't bring food, they didn't bring blankets, they didn't even bring a tent to sleep in, they brought nothing. Well, the good word says you reap what you sow. <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> you can fail to follow Christ and quote scripture the whole time. You can quote the Bible and walk exactly opposite to God. So that's walking in his ways. Just walking, it's the Holy Spirit that will do this for you. It's not something where you're going to be like, okay, what would Christ do? Let's see. Uh, he, would, he would probably help this person. He would probably not help this person, but tell them, you know, here's what you're doing wrong. Let's try and get you fixed up or whatever. You know, you're, it's not logic. You can't logic through. The Holy Spirit will move you in, in to, to be an emissary for Christ, to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his voice, to be his heart, to be the arms that hold somebody who's just hurting and lost. Why? Just because somebody has to, you know? So, as you're walking in his ways, you're going to need to seek after his knowledge. Matthew 6, 33 says, But first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, the previous verses talk about, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, where you're going to sleep. Don't worry about those things. You know, he, he talks about the, the birds of the air, how much more important are you? The, the grass of the field, which are thrown into the fire, how much more important to you? That, that the lilies of the field are more beautifully ordained than, than Solomon. And he loves you more than those things. So don't worry about those things. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and the, let, leave the rest to him. He'll add those things to you. So, where do you seek him? Right? Obvious to us. Bible is the absolute number one source of spiritual knowledge available to us down here on earth. Each Christian should spend some type of regular 
quality time in the Bible in order to learn more about the Lord and his ways. But, I mean, I can read this thing, and it's a pretty exciting story. I mean, there's some crazy stuff that goes on. There's people who are walking out of flaming you know, furnaces, exactly, you know? There's people who are, there's, you know, people walking on water claiming to be God. There's people being raised from the dead. There's, you know, it's, there's a guy who calls a bear to attack some people because they made fun of him. I mean, not everybody's perfect in the Bible, but it's all relevant. It's all important. And uh, there was a young, young, brother and sister, and they were raised with absolute no knowledge of Christianity. And um, when the person found out that this was the case, they gave him a Bible, and they read it. And he said, so what do you think? He said, that's an amazing story. They said, well, it, it's real. Said, no, it's not. There's no way that's real. You'd have to be an idiot to think that's real. I mean, come on, walking on water, all the things I mentioned, right? Walking out of a fiery furnace, it's not real. Those things didn't happen. The conversation with the person, he began to go through history and stuff like that. And I don't know how it ended for them, but I know that they were adamant that there's no way this was true. It couldn't be, not logically. So it's not logic that's going to do any of this. It's not logic that's going to bring the truth of this word into your heart. It's not logic. It's the Holy Spirit. It's accepting God. Seek is the word. Seek first. Seek is not just to read, but a desire and a, a valiant effort put forth to understand. When you read... The, 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 the words in the Bible, the stories are stories. It doesn't mean they're not true. They're just stories. When you read the stories of the Bible and you go, well, what does that mean? Have you ever read the Bible and you're reading something, just going through your daily reading or whatever, and you're like, has it always said that? Was I reading a different version? I don't remember that part. Or somebody will bring up a question like, hey, did you know this? And you're like, what? That's not Really? Yeah, look, go ahead and turn to it. What? Seek, right? Get in there. And when you read something, especially since the world says that there's contradictions in the Bible, which there are not, the Bible doesn't contradict. Look into it. I've mentioned this before from, this, from a standing right here. There is a, uh, uh, an account of Jesus leaving Nazareth and healing a blind man. Uh, cripple. No, fine man. And there's another account of Jesus going to Nazareth, going to Jericho. I said Nazareth, Jericho. Leaving Jericho and coming to Jericho and healing that same man. Or were they different instances? Everybody said, oh, this was a different instance. But if you seek, no, they're the same instance. In fact, they're, they're too similar not to be the exact same instance. The man calls out Certain words were used to call Jesus, you know, hey, you know, look at me. I need your help. So how can it be that he's leaving a place and going to a place? Well, one of them's got to be wrong, right? Here's the thing. <laughs> if you seek and dig into this and say, what is it? And you look, not just in here, but the history, right? So Jericho, right? Walls of Jericho crumbled. God said, anybody who rebuilds this city will lose his, his firstborn. Well, it was done. A man rebuilt Jericho, and in the process, I think his, his son died. Not like struck down by lightning or something like that. He, he died. God just said, this will happen. And it happened. But Jericho was rebuilt. Here's the thing. The Romans, like a mile away down the road, with a road between them, built another city, called Jer and they called it Jericho. So, Logically speaking, if, if scripture doesn't contradict itself, and there were two Jerichos with a road between them, like a mile apart, that's where Jesus was. He was leaving 
according to what I've read, he was leaving the, the, city of he, the city of Jericho, the one that was rebuilt by the Hebrews, and he was heading to Jericho, the Roman city. And he healed that man. Between the two. But who knew that? I didn't. I, I, I was, I was, that was shown to me, and I was like, what? And I looked into it. Yeah, and it's true. I was like, whoa. I never even would have thought of that. But I was looking up contradictions in the Bible. And I wanted to, I wanted to say, I'm going to prove that they're, they, they're, they're not contradictions. You know, some people want to prove that they are. There's an, a guy who has an entire book based on his attempt to disprove the resurrection. In the process, he became a Christian. Right? <laughs> it's like, in fact, everybody who's given an honest attempt to disprove the Bible, every one of them who's given honest attempt, who said, okay, I'm not going to lean one way or the other. I'm going to take the facts and I'm going to go forward with them. Every one of them that I know of has accepted Christ because they sought. They, non-believers sought the truth of the word, found Christ. Seek. I mentioned earlier that you, know, you, could, you could be quoting the Bible and be absolutely outside of the acts of Christ. There's an example in the New Testament of that very thing. Christ was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Every step of the way, the devil's quoting scripture. Christ just quoted scripture right back to him. Seek. So when the devil says, you're not accepted by God because this is why, you can go, righteous by the blood of Christ. Oh, God, God really doesn't care because of this. Cares me, Lord, the birds of the field. I mean, let's feel the birds there. You can, you can use scripture to counteract the lies the enemy will tell you because the enemy will use scripture to tell you how unacceptable you are to God. And you can go into that same scripture and say, I'm not perfect, but Christ was, and his blood is what cleanses me. He sees me through the blood of Christ, and I'm, I'm righteous. He looks at me and goes, wow, Righteous. You know, he's like, wow, it's amazing how so many of these people are righteous. How is it possible? I mean, he knows it's possible because he did it, right? But I'm saying he looks at people through the blood of Christ and your imperfections are washed away, cast as far as the east is from the west, and you are redeemed and welcomed into a place that only perfection is allowed. God cannot be in the presence of sin. And you're sinless by the blood of Christ. Congratulations. <laughs> so <clears throat> to get that relationship with God the next thing I would say is you're, uh, you need to have develop a strong prayer life so you have to get this relationship with God you need to seek his knowledge and you need to which is getting into his word and you need to have a, a strong prayer life Matthew 6, 5 says that when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into a room, into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, that your Father who sees the secrets will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you need before you ask them. And in this manner, pray. And this is in the slides, so I'll just go through it real quick here. It says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. I'm going to stop right there, We're just, just to go over some. Those words are all about God. Who's heard the, the, I used to tell my kids, if you want to know how to pray, use the word pray. P for praise, R for repent, A for ask, Y for yield. First thing you do, you praise the Lord. Open your prayer, holy is thou name, right? 
repent. Forgive me, Lord, for my sins. Thank you that you sent your son to die for, for me and that I am cleansed by that. Then bring your, bring your request, bring your ask him. Say, hey, Lord, you know, I got this issue. I've got this need that's messed up and I'm worried about how I'm gonna provide for my family. Lord, I just ask that you just provide, you show me how you're going to provide so that I can have that peace of mind. It's something, that's what I want. I want peace of mind. And yield. So when you say, Lord, I need this, please, Lord, give me this. If God says no, accept no. If he says yes, well, obviously you're going to accept yes, right? Who doesn't accept what the Lord says yes to? But sometimes he says, wait. And that's the hard one to discern, right? It's like, okay, Lord, I need this. Hello? Did you hear me? I said I needed this. Did, did, is this on? You know, <laughs> you're like, are you hearing me? I, I, I'm okay. The time is approaching for for this, the deadline of this, right? And um, I haven't heard from you. And I, but then you go to other, like I said, scripture, right? The enemy says he's too important, he's too busy for you right now. There's other things to deal with. And you go to scripture and he says, I know my plans for you, which are for good and not evil, to prosper you. And you go, that's a wait. He said, wait. And I, I, I promise you, something will happen. It may not be what you expect or even really what you had hoped for, but it will be the best thing that's for you. Amen. The ask, give us our day, our daily bread, and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here's the yield. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's so hard to yield. I mean, like I said, place it at his throne, pick it right back up, and worry, that worry, you know? Until you, I mean, for me, I have to get on my knees, sometimes physically, lately, spiritually, because it doesn't work so good, um, and just just give it to him. <laughs> So there are times when I've been driving at work and I'm having a horrible day. I'm driving from a customer who just yelled at me and cussed at me because of something else somebody else did and blamed me completely for it, um, called my manager and complained to my manager about me. And, and there's, my manager's like, what, what's all this about? I'm I don't know, the guy was mad because they sold him the wrong package and I couldn't put it in because blah, 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 blah. And he's like, so, you know, this is a bad survey for you which is, I have to sit down, we have to sit down, we have to write up a thing, you have to sign it saying you've been talked to. Nothing of my fault. And I'm, now I'm angry. And I'm driving to the next customer, and I have to behave in such a manner that is um, worthy of my company, but more so worthy of Christ. So what do I do? <laughs> this is a true story. I'm sitting in a stop sign, and I'm angry, and I'm knowing I gotta do something to get myself out of this mood, and I'm like, you know what? The enemy hates it when he puts an attack in your path and you use it to glorify God. So I start doing that. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And I'm not talking quiet. I'm talking top of my lungs. You are the Lord of lords, king of kings, creator for all creation. You are the victory in my defeat. Just, just everything that comes to my mind to glorify God. Not, not asking him for a thing. The guy next to me is like, is it green yet? Come on, let's go. Something's wrong with this guy, you know? But it works because then by glorifying God, I stop focusing on my problems and start focusing on Christ. Amen. And suddenly it's at the throne and it's left there. Praise, glorifying God. Those things will absolutely take you out of whatever trial you're going through in your head. You may still be physically in it, but you can move forward because those things are, are, are an anchor on you. They're holding you back. You can't even see the path to walk because you're so consumed by the situation. Your, what was the, the last thing I said? Your, your prayer port 
is fogged in. <laughs> so, uh, so it, it's if your prayers are, uh, Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. Help me with this. Help me with that. Um, please, you know, fix the situation. Your your prayers are too focused on you. Like I said, praising him sometimes is enough. But it also says that if you're not coming to God with your struggles, then it's possible that they won't be addressed. You're like, what? No. He, he says, like we read earlier, um, you know, before you break out the torches and pitchforks, and so let, me, let me get through this. <laughs> um, <clears throat> he says that the Bible says that God knows your needs before you speak them. But he also says to bring your request to him in the spirit of thanksgiving. He says, and he also says, ask and you'll receive. God wants a rapport with his children. He doesn't just want you to go to church and to do, put money in the tithe box. No, he wants a relationship with you. I mean, as I was writing this, I was thinking, hey, you never write, you never call, you know. Oh, you only come around when you want something, you know. He, <laughs> no, really, it's like, that's how it is sometimes, you know. We, we pray when, as a last resort, when it should be the first thing we do, you know. It, my wife's amazing for that. And, you know, it's like, we're, I'm going through something, she's like, well, have you prayed? No. Well, I was about to go do something. Like, we're talking the most mundane thing. I'm going to go build a chicken coop. And I'm on there going, why is this thing not the holes are drilled in the wrong spots and the screws are wrong screws? And she's like, did you pray? I am now. It's working. You know? It, and she's, like, that she's amazing for that. Um, things that I wouldn't think needed prayer, that's her first thing. She's like, don't even go taking your son to drive. By the way, my son made it, got his driver's license. Yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah. All credit to God because I'm not that good of a teacher. But she would tell us, pray before you hit the road so that you can be of a mind to give him instruction and not criticism because he doesn't need to be criticized. He needs to be taught. So, yeah, we pray. And sure enough, here he is, 16 years old, with a driver's license, passed it the first time, which I did not. <laughs> no, 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 I'm lucky I passed it the second time. The guy's like, you know, I should actually probably fail you for that, but here's what you did wrong. Oh, okay, thank you. So, establishing that good personal relationship with God, very important. The last thing, not the last thing, I mean, there's so much to do, but the last thing on my list here is to establish a good personal relationship with other Christians. We're talking about a walk. That walk requires other people. It's like a, one of those marathons where you're walking with a bunch of people all together, you know, and you're all sort of moving forward and everybody's excited to, to get this going and you're cheering each other on and, you know, there's people that if you trip and fall, they'll pick you up. They're not trying to win. Other people are heading off to be the first one there, but, but in a Christian walk, you need Christian people in your life. I spoke earlier about talking, seeking the knowledge of God, putting forth the effort to understand the deeper meanings behind the words written in the Bible. This is a good way to achieve that because there are people who've been walking it longer. There are people who've been seeking his word and his will, and they can speak into your life. They can answer questions when you're like, What's this Jericho thing, dude? He's, it says he's here, he says he's there. What's, which one is it? And you might just find that guy who says, you know what? I know the answer to that. We need other people to, God, God uses other people so often. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. 25, for not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, that means encouraging, so that more, much more as you see the day approaching. And, and, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Wow, dyslexia is bad. Um, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
that's a whole sermon. There's an entire book I have about what, how Christ loved. That you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. God will use other believers to speak into your life. They will pick you up. Sometimes physically. If you just can't, if you're just on your knees, sobbing and weeping, they'll come, they'll cry with you, they'll pray with you, they'll lay hands on you, they'll pray for you, they will pick you up and take you to a seat so you can sit down and you can just unload on them. You can vent, you can do all of these things and they will hear you. And the Holy Spirit that's in them will speak into your life. Sometimes you just need someone to listen. And they're those ears. They're the God's ears. Like he said, the, all body parts are important, right? We think, you know, there's things that are less important. Ears to hear, right? He uses people to speak into your life. Sometimes a non-believer will see Christ's love by the way you treat another Christian, not even them. I mean, we're not talking about somebody who sees Christ's love because you went and you brought them a meal and they're sitting on the side of the road, homeless. We're talking like there are people that are sitting over here and they see how we react, behave together and they want to know what that's about. They want to come over and say, oh, uh, what kind of church are you guys? Oh, we're non-denominational Christian. Oh, wow, you guys here every Sunday? Of course they know we're here every Sunday. Who doesn't know? You know, if you know what, if you know what a church is, you know it's on Sunday, unless you're Seventh-day Adventist and it's Saturday. But they get the point. You're here every Sunday. If, you're, if I'm standing here on Sunday, they just have questions and they want to know. They're seeking to know more. And they didn't get that because you walked over. Well, in some cases, you did. Um, there's a gentleman over here that that Brian just went over there and had a conversation and he wasn't allowed to be near his children. So Brian helped the guy's mother load a gift for his kids into the car. And that was it. He asked about, and that's it. Next thing you know, he's, he's here asking questions, wanting to know about Jesus. But there are other times when people just see the way you treat each other and want to be part of that family because that's why we're brothers and sisters, right? They want to be part of that. They're like, I want someone to love me the way those people love each other. And that's what Christ says. They'll, they'll know your mind by the way you love each other. Those are the people that God puts in your life. So, to be able to um, get that, one of the good way, best ways to get it, to get all of those things really, is to join a spirit-filled, let me say it again, a spirit-filled church. There are so many churches that are not. They're just a church in, in uh, act alone, you know, body alone, whatever. They don't, they don't embody the, the love of God. Matthew 18, 20 says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Acts 11 25 says, Then Barnabas departed from Tarsus to seek Saul, in 26, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, so that so it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples <coughs> and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. <coughs> so, like I said, <coughs> you can you can you can get that extra information that's seeking you can go to people who've already sought and you can you can your desire to seek your seeking god can bring it through you through people where those people typically gathered sunday on a church wednesday on a church um a youth outreach a movie night you know we're, we're everywhere 242 right <clears throat> invite somebody to 242 you know they don't need, we don't need food. We have plenty of that. We need you to be here. That's all we need. That's all we want. You can get the questions answered. You can get the love of Christ. 
And where you're going to find it most predominantly, not only, but most predominantly, you're going to find it in a church. And by getting in a spirit-filled church, you will give yourself the best opportunity to grow in your walk with Christ. So when someone says, how's your walk? You can be honest and say, well, it's, uh, it's rough because of this, that, and the other thing. But my time in the Bible is really good. My prayer life, man, I, the Lord just speaking to me in ways I never even experienced. You can have a good walk, even in troubling times, right? It doesn't have to be roses all the time for your walk to be good. In fact, we often grow the most in our relationship with God when he's getting us through the hard stuff. You know, you learn more in the valley than you do from the mountaintops. So, just, uh, so it's great. You, you go to church, you can surround yourself by brothers, Christian brothers and sisters. Occasionally, there may be a wolf among the sheep. That is a different Sunday. I'm going to pray, and if you haven't accepted Christ, um, if you're online or anybody, if you haven't accepted Christ, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray with you. If, you. if you wish to accept him now, you can do that. You can repeat the exact words, but what's in your heart, what you say in your heart is what matters. <sighs> Heavenly Father, Lord, I know that I am not perfect. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've failed in so many ways. I really can't even remember them all. But I know that the amount and the number doesn't matter because Christ died once on the cross and forgave all of them. He took my sins and removed them from me as far as east is to the west. And no matter how far east you travel, you'll never get west. Never. Travel north, eventually you're heading south. East and west never happens. I know that you've done this for me. And I accept that sacrifice. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I surrender my whole life to you. Show me how to walk in your ways. Bring me the people that are going to help me understand and know you better. I want you more than I want the things of this world, the pleasures I used to know, the the, the, the relationships I have. I want to have a relationship with you more than I want a relationship with anyone in this world. Even the people I love most, Lord, I give it to you. I fully surrender to you, Lord. I give it up. I give it over. I thank you for loving me enough to die for me. And I know that because you came back, that even death, <laughs> even death, Death could not stand against you. You have gained victory for me, and all I have to do is reach out and take it, and I'm reaching. I accept your gift of eternal life, and I want nothing more than to know you in every possible way. I pray this in your holy, powerful name, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.